Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests. Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem. So send them on over to us at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. So pull up a seat and make yourself at home. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to another episode. We're really excited to chat with you today. We are doing another fun garden discussion. So just, you know, we have spring on the brain, thinking about new growth, pretty colors after a long winter. Yes. So really excited about that. I feel like um, Jordan and I were just joking that we're in what's called false spring right now in Hood River. Beautiful weather, really sunny but frigid cold still. <laughs> so yes, it's been fun to like dream about spring unfolding. Yeah, just those flowers everywhere is going to be such a breath of fresh air. I cannot wait. So, you know, with that, let's go ahead and dive into our strides and struggles let's for the it. week. I'll kick it off for my stride. My photo course is launched, so I'm really, Woo-hoo! really excited. So I teach like photography styling and branding mm-hmm. online i used to do it in person but with you know COVID, obviously the in-person workshops and stuff have been highly reduced right and so it's just really fun to be able to connect with other creatives online and you know the course is like mostly uh like 33 recorded videos but there is like a live zoom meeting oh nice component that we do every two weeks for a few months um and so that's just really nice because it you know i'm a pretty social person mm-hmm. so it kind of tickles that need of interacting sure. with other creative people because, you know, our friends or like main friend group that we have here, they they are creative. Like actually pretty much all of our friends do photography for fun. Sure. Um, but I feel like food photography specifically is like super niche. So yeah. it just feels really good to be able to chat with people who are passionate about the same like very specific thing that you are. Kind of yeah. like we were talking about yeah. when you were talking about your design workshop you're going to. So that's my stride. We're just super excited about that. Can't that's wait great. to dive in with the students. I feel like you, just knowing you as a person, as an educator would probably be so great to Aww, study under. Like thank you. very easy to understand and like inviting and welcoming. So if I was a food photographer, I'd be totally down. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's just really fun. I love teaching. And then as far as the struggles go, we, we've we been working on getting our construction loan for like a few couple months now. Mm-hmm. But our loan officer uh, was just pretty MIA, like she was out of the office half the time it felt like. Or when, you know, we would ask very specific questions, she'd give like half answers. And then it turns out our builder was experiencing like the same thing from her and so there's just this weird bottleneck where we're like okay well the clock's running out we really want to break ground at a certain time and knowing how long it can take for like underwriting for loans and stuff we're like we're really like running out of time here um so we ended up switching to a different loan officer at the same bank yeah and it's someone that our builder james has a connection with and it's been i guess it's like 
a struggle that kind of turned into a stride, actually, <laughs> yeah. because now it's moving along at yeah. a very wonderfully brisk pace. So sure. excited about that. But there was like a period where I was just having like very extreme anxiety around yeah. like, oh, my God, like, what if we can't get the loan? We can't like right. build this house like, ah, like just so stressed. Right. But yeah, so that was a, a big relief. Sure. That's great. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about the home building journey in general being pretty emotional and yeah. difficult. And so you know, each barrier feels so <laughs> monumental because you're reliant on so many other people. So it's yeah. not problems that you can necessarily fix yourself. And so I get it. Those those moments are really stressful yeah. for sure. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, this week um, has been pretty good in general. Uh, we uh, So Jordan and I typically this time of year plan a trip. So we've been, our stride for the week is that we've been planning our family trip, which is going to be to San Diego this year. My my oldest son has been like dying to either go to Universal or Legoland. So TBD on which (laughs) one of those. Okay, cool. Um, But we have been, I don't know, we're like the Disney family. So we do go to (laughs) Disneyland every year, but we're a little burnt out on Disney, although we love Disneyland. Yeah. and since Penn is still, you know, only a year and a half, we don't want to go to to Florida or try to travel super yeah. far. So yeah. it's doable to do something along the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of thinking San Diego, San Diego Zoo. I was just going to say the San Diego Zoo. Yeah. It's an amazing zoo. Yeah. We love going to the zoo too. Um, in Singapore, when we live there, they have an incredible zoo. Oh, and cool. so we've heard that they're comparable in terms of amazingness so i think it's going to be a fun opportunity to take the boys to and we kind of plan it in february and typically go in fall and it's kind of the thing that we look forward to through the year so Mm -hmm. um it's been fun to kind of start dreaming about that and then in terms of struggle still just like in the thick of work changes and business development uh, we got thrown a curveball last week where we were actually offered to um, kind of take over the adjoining unit in my building. And as much as I feel like it's like a really great decision and probably not an opportunity that will come along if a different tenant were to come in, um, it just all kind of feels like big decision making right this yeah. second. So I'm pretty risk adverse and try to like look for the safety net and every decision I make. And this one feels like there's not there's not a huge safety net. So it's sort of like really asking the tough questions about like, what is this business doing? What are the goals for the future? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we grow into this space? Yeah. Yeah. So can we carry this space for a year knowing that it's bigger than what we need today, but probably what we need in a year. So yeah, yeah, just, it's been like pretty heavy in terms of going through the, the planning part of that stuff. But very grateful that we have the opportunity and yeah. it's exciting, but a little stressful at the same time. So yeah, keep you posted. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of just relaxing things, which I know I always suggest, but like gardening so helpful <laughs> when you're feeling <laughs> overwhelmed, it's like a great release. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to talk to our guest, Melissa, today. Yeah. Um, because something that people wrote in a lot about in their listener mail was actually small space gardening so like you know what if i don't have a big yard what if i only have a balcony like what what can i grow sure and so melissa's gonna talk all about that with us today right um so let's go ahead and dive into our chat cool want gorgeous photos of your home 
I've made five beautiful Lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space, and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com. Our guest today is Melissa Cameron, an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed. She's passionate about the connection between human health and nature and believes that regenerative gardens can help create food security and broaden ecological diversity. We are so excited to talk to her about gardening in small spaces today. Welcome, Melissa. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Great. So we'll just go ahead and dive right in if that sounds good. Yep. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do? Sure. My name is Melissa Cameron, and I'm an organic master gardener. Um, I'm a garden expert, and I'm the founder of a firm called The Good Seed, and I'm co-founder of a garden education platform called Gardenology. So I split my time between two places, one which is Toronto, Ontario, and the other is a rural farm in Prince Edward Island, where uh, I am right now. <gasps> like Anna <Amazing>. Green Gables. <laughs> like Anna Green Gables. That's me. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I'm super passionate about the connection between human health and nature, and I believe that regenerative gardens can help us create food security and also broaden ecological diversity. And I'm also the co-founder of a charity called the Abermore Garden Collective. And there we help grow uh, food and we donate our harvest to families with young children who face food insecurity. Oh my God, Amazing. That. That's so cool. Yeah, I just feel like there's so much more work that needs to be done there, because especially in the the realm of like food waste and like just getting food into the hands of people who actually need it. So that's so fantastic that you are do- on the ground doing the footwork mm-hmm. in that arena. How did yeah. your interest? Find- oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's really important for us to, to get kids when they're young interested in really good food. And especially sort of fresh garden food, I think it really changes the outcome of their lives and uh, and how they choose to eat. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that, because even I have talked a lot about my childhood upbringing and experience where actually we didn't have a ton of access to like fresh food. Um, and I didn't know that like green beans were a vegetable that didn't come from a can for a long time. So <laughs> Um, It's really great to hear that there are people like you helping bridge that gap. So that's amazing. And uh, how did your interest in plants and gardening and everything start? Um, So I think like lots of kids, I I gardened with my my dad, my family, but um, it didn't really turn into a career path until I took some time off to have babies. I was going through infertility. I had quit my corporate job in high-rise real estate development because of stress. Mm-hmm. And then um, when it was time to kind of re-enter the workforce, it really made me pivot and invest in my education around gardening and get serious about it. I love that. That's great. What are um, some creative ways to garden in small spaces? That's really what we're trying to uh, chat with you about today since a few listeners have posted questions about this specifically. So um, can you tell us? A little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. Small spaces um, really matter because a lot of us live in urban areas right now, and uh, we want to make the most of the spaces we have, and sometimes they're unconventional spaces. Um, But what they do sort of lend themselves to is creating gardens that are really visually impactful and lush, 
Mm. So in order to do that, you really want to layer your plants with different heights and textures and just use every inch of that available space. And because you're going to want to maximize your yield if you're planting an edible garden um, that you plant in small spaces, sometimes I think thematic gardens are the way to go. So if you do have like a balcony or a terrace that's small, uh, sometimes it can help by planting um, with a theme in mind. So mm. I like I like smoothies, let's say, for instance. <laughs> so I can plant a garden around like kale and spinach and mint and strawberries because I know that I would use those daily. And that's like a really intensive way to grow. Or you might like salsa. And so we could plant a garden food with like chives and cilantro and a tomato plant and some hot peppers. So that's kind of a creative way to approach like a smaller space. And then I would say for like cut flower gardens and small spaces, uh, you would want to focus on flowers that I think are considered cut and come again. So those are ones that, you know, aren't just going to bloom once and sort of peter out. Mm -hmm. And that will make a lot of impact over your season. Uh, So also focus on on easy to grow flowers like cosmos and calendula, zinnias, those come to mind. I really love the idea of going into a garden project with a use point in mind, because that also, you know, kind of going along with what you're all about helps cut down on waste. Because I feel like sometimes when people are growing their own vegetables, maybe they're not as experienced with kind of like figuring out recipes to make with them. But if you give them like almost like a floor plan of like, and this is the purpose of this Mm -hmm. garden. And so then they know like, okay, every week I'm going to like make a batch of salsa with my salsa garden. I think that's such a great way, especially if like someone hasn't been uh, like garden before, it just makes it a lot more approachable and functional for them. I agree with that. I mean, you could enter, uh, insert Sam into that, like instead of, oh, if somebody's not familiar, like that's me, I'm unfamiliar. So, um, but I have never heard to just like imagine an end goal, but I am very goal driven. So I could see myself committing more to it if it like was something I knew I could make with it or do with it. And so that's, yeah, I've never heard that. That's really great. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think, too, Sam, for you, because you say you're new to it, one of the easiest types of plants to grow are herbs. And um, and so for you, maybe the theme could be like a tea garden. So maybe you enjoy having a cup of tea every day. I do. And so, oh, so <laughs> we could design a garden for you, for instance, I love this. with like chamomile and lavender yeah. and lemon verbena and all mints and all sorts of things that you would be able to harvest and either pop fresh into some hot water to make tea or even just save for, you know, those colder months when you don't have a garden. Yeah. I love that. I feel like even just hearing you say that or me thinking about that from the context of growing it myself, I find myself like, oh, I yeah, that's exciting. That's cool. I could do that, you know? So I just think that's a really beautiful way to approach it. I think it's probably like, it's very eye-opening for me in this moment. Like, oh, I could do that. (laughs) If I like romanticize this enough, I think my, I mean, just so you know, my husband's a fifth generation orchardist. We have like 35 acres of pears and apples. So I think in some ways, in some ways, I don't, P.S., I don't do any of it. So um, I just live there. Um, I'm a dweller on the land. But at any rate, uh, it's, I think for us, we are of the mindset sometimes like, oh, we just don't have time. I don't know what we would do. And again, my childhood of origin didn't really have a ton of like um, modeled food, creative, you know, cooking and whatnot. So 
it's been a journey for me. I've mentioned this in other episodes. It's been a journey for me to even learn how to cook. But I think this is like really cool. I don't know. I'm excited. Thanks yeah. for sharing that perspective. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go grow some awesome. tea. So... And also, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and something else that I really love um, that you are really good at, and it's something I've tried before, but I have struggled with, Melissa, is vertical gardening. Can you talk a little bit about like what that means and you know what it looks like? Yeah. So um, one of the really interesting things about Toronto, just as a as my home city, is that we have the largest number of new condo buildings anywhere in North America. And so especially oh, wow. for people who are sort of in that like 25 to 39 age range, you are most likely going to be purchasing a condo before you purchase like a semi-detached or a fully detached home. Mm-hmm. And so there's just been a lot of thought about using that space and making that space functional. And so vertical gardening is one of those things. And so fun fact, my first garden ever was actually a pallet garden. And so if you think about like a wood pallet that you see in a shipping yard, something mm-hmm. like that, I found an untreated one and I had lined it uh, just with some landscape fabric DIY with a staple gun and, you know, use that to grow in a very small vertical space. So it's really possible to do. I think that there is a plant for every person and every space. And it's just about getting creative around structuring your space. Uh, for function, like we talked about, but also you know, for enjoyment. Yeah, that's great. What kind of plants, um, especially edible ones, do well growing in containers? That's a great question. And um, the good answer is that a lot of plants do really, really, really well <laughs> uh, grown in containers. So a couple of things we want to talk about more container growing. Um, and for edible gardens, this is really, really important. So first off, we want to make sure you're using really great soil and replenishing that soil with organic matter season over season. Secondly, you want to be sure that the size of your container fits sort of the growth habit of your plant. So if you lived in an area where you had a lot of fencing, for instance, you could install gutters along your fences and grow bush beans and lettuces. But if you wanted to grow something more like a hot pepper, you might need like a seven-gallon container or a determinate tomato would need like a 10-gallon container. So it's really about matching up the plant and the volume of soil they need. And then lastly, when you're growing in containers, it's really, really important that you monitor, one, the drainage. So we want to make sure that any water that's coming into that container can flow easily out. And secondly, how quickly that container dries out. You want to make sure that in the heat of the summer, you're checking on those containers because they don't have access to the water that's in soil in your garden. Yeah, that's such a good point because, yeah, when you are growing something in a container versus the ground, the water situation is super limited um, because if a plant's in the ground, it can always grow its roots deeper to access more moisture. It's like away Mm -hmm. from the sun, but if they're in a container... They're also getting warmed up and blasted by sunlight on the sides of that container, too. So the container can get pretty warm. Um, So, you know, if someone's living in a sunnier place like Los Angeles, they're going to want to be really mindful of that. And maybe even put, you know, if something to shade the pot itself, but not the plant from any south facing light so that it doesn't get like cooked in the pot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the cool thing about containers is if you're able to, if you have sort of mixed conditions, you're able to move them around as well, as long as you're not 
like a 15 gallon container is is a bit challenging, but definitely the smaller containers, you can be moving them a little bit and protecting them. But you can put almost anything in a container, just making sure you're matching again, the size of like that root system with the size of the container. Um, and like maybe not pumpkins, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or that's just going to take over your entire balcony. <laughs> yes. just full of vines. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing actually that I thought of when you were talking about moving container, like the container of the plant around, which is such a good point, is like that's also why gardening in containers is so useful because it's like easy to move them and like shift them to more flattering light. Or maybe you could, you know, if you work from home, you could move the plant into a shadier spot at the mm-hmm. hottest part of the day for like a couple hours and then move it back into the sun. Um, if it's like really, really hot. But one thing that does exist now in gardening stores, which is so awesome, are like these little trays on wheels. So you yeah. can put your big plants on top of those and then yeah. just like roller move them around. Like I have our fiddly fig, big kind of bushy house plant in our bathroom on one of those, which is so nice because it's grown over our bathtub so when i want to take a bath i just wheel it out of the way so i can like actually get inside the bathtub um but it just makes it so much easier to like move the the plant around as needed awesome um okay so then let's talk about um lowering the environmental impact of container gardens do you have any tips or ideas on how to consider the environmental impact and ways that we can i I more like best use practices yeah in other words Sure. Yeah, that's actually a great question. So obviously, first off, growing your own food is a great way to reduce your environment, <laughs> mental impact. And um, I would add, if you want to take it a step further, producing your own compost or vermicompost can yeah, help yeah. make your container gardening part of like a closed loop system, right? The other thing is, if you're able to capture rainwater to irrigate your containers, you're working with Mother Nature again and having a positive environmental impact. And to that end, I'd say the other technique that we sort of, I don't know, we shy away from talking about a little bit in container uh, growing is mulching. Mm. Um, So as we mentioned before, right, containers can dry out quicker than an in-ground garden. And mulching your bare soil has a lot of benefits. It can suppress weeds, but it also helps those containers retain moisture. And that's a great way to save on resources. And then what kind of materials can people use as mulch? That's a good question, too. So um, there's a couple of different theories on that. There is a dense planting technique where basically you are planting to cover the surface of the soil. So think of like a raised bed that might have a lot of densely planted lettuce heads. Mm-hmm. So you're really not seeing any uh, bare soil. So that would be like a living mulch kind of condition. I also think that generally speaking, uh, organic straw is a great mulch. It's not what everybody thinks is visually most appealing sometimes, but it's, it works really, really well. And it's just it's easy to apply. I would shy away from uh, mulches that have any kind of synthetic dyes in them or um, like leaf mulch that you really don't know the origin from. Mm. Because it could have like pests or like fungus or something. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Cool. And then um, what are some of the most creative uses you've seen of like upcycled materials used in like container planning or vertical gardening? Yeah. So uh, upcycled bed frames and dressers transformed into raised garden beds are definitely very cool. Wow. Um, and like, 
you know, if you're a Facebook marketplace kind of cruiser, that's like, those are pretty easy to come by. Yeah. Um, and you know, you might have seen one before and not known that you were looking at it. Like sometimes, depending on how you transform them, they're, they're harder to spot than you think. Uh, we talked about pallet gardens. Those are great too. I, I do want to add a caveat that if you are looking to grow an edible garden, it's important that you're not reusing or upcycling um, any materials that would be finished with toxins mm, or, sure. or treated wood. Because those can leach into your soil and, um, and so that matters. Yeah. Uh, so for uh, um, edible gardens, I think one of the cooler looks and like easier ones also to find would be something like an upcycled life, livestock trough. Oh, cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe Sam, I don't know if you have any livestock on the, on the orchard farm, but. Uh, <laughs> we do not. That was many generations before us that actually did cattle. But okay. so maybe some like old rusted troughs somewhere, but. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those work really well. And then um, to fill them, because they are quite tall, they can be like 36 inches tall, mm. uh, you can use a principle called fugal culture to fill the bottom half of the bed, which is really using um, larger wood materials, so trunks and branches, and, um, and then layering it with straw mm. and leaves like that to create a foundation for your garden bed. So that really helps, again, create a lot of biodiversity in the soil, but also uh, saves money on importing expensive soil. Yeah. yeah. And it holds moisture super well, which is like nice for super the, well. Yeah, the plant to be able to tap into that when it's really warm <laughs> or sunny. That's great. Um, Definitely. I also had a friend who I thought this was super cute. She had... Uh, like enamelware sink that was like pretty deep and so she just put a bunch of flowers in there and like put on a stand so just these and then you know the bottom of the sink drain was where the excess water could drain out of it but so it was just a sink in her garden that just had flowers like overflowing out of it and it was just such a cool visual I loved that I kind of want to take a couple steps back and go back to vermiculture because that is Super interesting, and it is something you can do in a smaller space. Could you talk a little bit about what that is for people who don't like know what it is and how that can be done in like a smaller space, like an apartment or condo balcony? Mm -hmm. So vermiculture um, is really the process of using food scraps and things like newspaper uh, and a population of worms to create really, really dense uh, nutrients in soil called worm casting. And the beauty of it is that unlike compost that you need to put outside that has to reach a certain temperature and you know, might get preyed upon by rodents or raccoons, things like that, um, the vermicompost is a multi-bin system. So you think of a stacked bin system that just is pretty much odorless and can be inside your home fairly easily. And so it's a great way to approach food waste and feeding your garden at the same time. Yeah, they're so nice. We have a worm bin system. It's a bit bigger because we have a yard, but it's crazy that there is no smell. Like before we got it, I always assumed, oh, it'll be like a funky smell, you know, because worm castings are also, you know, they're like, that's their poop. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the worm's poop and that's yeah. such like a good fertilizer. But it smells nice. It smells like, you know, when you go outside in a park right after rain, 
it kind of has like that fresh earthy nice smell to it and they go through food so fast too so it's like a way more efficient like time-wise way to break down organic material um than just you know throwing it in like a compost pile or something so it is such a great option for people in limited like physical garden space areas like living in an apartment um to be able to make your own compost is really really cool and it's just fun to see the worms like you know doing their work and uh you feel like you're really you know being respectful of the environment and having that connection to the earth that sometimes you can miss a little bit if you are living you know in an apartment or a smaller space like that without access to a full yard definitely and you can also um i think what's really kind of magical about it is that you can use it in your house plants too so if you're Mm -hmm. not ready to commit to an edible garden you know uh, lentil things are great for adding to your house plant and it does I don't know if your system does this but some of them have like a spout that let out worm juice as I like to call it yeah <laughs> so it's just to drain some moisture and that's also really nutritious for your garden so yeah it's lots of fun I think it's a great project and uh and there are lots of YouTube videos on sort of how to DIY it but you can also buy kits which is nice too yeah yeah. I feel like my son would really love, like, get a good kick out of seeing us do that. Like feeding the worms yeah. and, like, watching them just, yeah. like, chomp yeah. away. Yeah, he, like, yeah. loves worms and bugs, and he would, like, think that's really, I don't know, special to see the food go from, like, you know, how we see it, a banana peel, whatever, to dirt, you know? Yeah. yeah. He'd think that was rad. Kids are incredible gardeners. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I true. have four of them, and so I know. <laughs> but uh, they, they're, you know, it's at their level, and they're very observant. Um, I think that's another thing about edible gardens. If you have a picky eater at home, letting kids see the process of how food grows yeah. and planting a seed and then harvesting from it can take away a lot of the fear and unknown mm-hmm. around um, vegetables that you can grow and really increase it really encourages them to take ownership over the process and they'll be so much more likely to, you know, grab that pea and stick it in their mouth and chomp away on it. I could totally see that. Like we don't have any kids, but my nephew is just about to turn four and he's kind of at that age where he's starting to learn to do things himself, like put on his own shoes and things like that. And you can just see that incredible joy he gets from being able to do something himself. So I feel like anytime you can give a kid like a sense of, you know, you're contributing to something or wow, like you, you helped water this and now we get to eat this for lunch. Like that's probably just such an amazing feeling of like accomplishment for them. That's great. For sure. And do you have any go-to organic solutions for pests? Let's say someone has some like aphids going on or like, you know, what are some of the common pests that you've seen on those? like container related gardens a couple of thoughts on this we we uh, we like to be problem solvers but mother nature is also a problem solver <laughs> so <laughs> like aphids right your organic self is like oh, i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna spray the aphids off twice a day and that's gonna solve the issue but you know aphids actually do have a natural predator in ladybugs mm. However, in order for the ladybugs to come and find your aphids, you kind of have to leave them on your plants for a little bit of time, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're out there spraying them twice a day, the aphids are gone, sort of, and the ladybugs are confused. And so 
a little bit of it requires some patience uh, sure. in that regard. And then, gosh, you know, especially in edible gardens, even in container gardens, there are some pests that we see season over season. So I'm thinking of cabbage white butterflies mm. that attack your brassicas um, and also uh, the flies that lay eggs for leaf miners. And those are usually, uh, they're sort of, a, they lay these tiny, almost, you know, invisible eggs on the undersides of the leaves of your chard and your spinach and your beet greens. And then this little tiny larva hatches and goes in between and eats sort of the intracellular material. It's gross. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing is that we know how to prevent this, right? If the insect can't lay eggs on your fried garden, then it's not going to be an issue. So floating row cover and heat systems are a great way to sort of create an organic physical barrier to protect your plants. Mm. And they have the benefit of also being reusable season over season. Yeah. So if you really like that smoothie garden and you really like your lacinato dino kale, um, that's great. Just throw some hoops on there. Throw some, you can even buy like cheap tool at the fabric store as an insect barrier, anything mm. Cover it with, and and do yourself a favor, and you just you know, there's no spray, no fungicides, no herbicides, nothing, no pesticides. Yeah, that makes it does make it so easy, especially if you have like a tomato cage shape on the plant already. Right. You can just throw that fabric on top, and you're like done. Exactly. And then, are there any other common issues aside from pests that you can think of that tend to happen with container or small space gardens more so? Um, and then how? How folks might be able to troubleshoot those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think for some small spaces and container gardens, um, you really want to be selective when you're making your garden plan at the beginning of the season, right? Because we want to focus for edible gardens, especially on high yield crops mm. and sort of avoid crops that are large and slow. So, you know, if you have a smaller space, I would say don't maybe grow cabbage or cauliflower. Because in that space, you're going to be able to harvest a whole lot of like pak choy and spinach and arugula mm-hmm. in the same amount of time as you're going to get one head of cauliflower. Yeah, right. Um, and I think we touched on it before, but soil health really, really matters in small gardens. So because you don't have access to those micro macronutrients in the native soil, like in an in-ground bed, optimizing your soil health is really going to help you grow beautiful and resilient plants. Um, and so it's really important uh, to be nourishing that soil with organic amendments at the beginning of the season or when you're changing out from your cool season to your warm season crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, in smaller gardens, I would say, you know, be sure to add some pollinator-friendly flowers to your smaller gardens just mm-hmm. to broaden that diversity in your small space. That's such a good idea. Yeah. And it is so nice too when you're out there to see like little honeybees or butterflies flying yeah. around just kind of adds to that refreshing feel of having that nice green space out on your your patio or your balcony. So uh, Melissa, this is a question we ask every guest we have on the podcast. And so um, okay. it is, what does home feel like for you? Hmm. Um, I think for me, home just feels like a space space where our entire family can play and relax and be ourselves and share in daily tasks. And for me, it's a lot about embracing seasons and spending as much time appreciating that 
moment in time that, that the now um, inside our home and outside our home. Right now, there's a couple feet of snow outside, but mm. really, it's important for me to be out there and experience it. And so, does not rush and wish for spring and just embrace this time I'm in now with my kids and my partner. Um, yeah. I love that. I feel like I have a tendency definitely to rush and like wish for yeah, the same. next season at the end of that season. Yeah. So I'm just being like, just enjoy it until it's over. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that perspective. You know, it is so important to appreciate what we have while we have it. Like just enjoy the present. Yeah. And then yeah. why don't you share a little little bit about where people can find you? So your website, your Instagram, if you have any like workshops or courses or anything coming up yeah definitely so i am on instagram at the good seed to um, and the good seed is the goodseedgarden.com and then i actually have a course right now um that's ongoing for 2022 called a year in the urban garden mm. and it's a 12 module course that deals exactly with what we're talking about today it takes you on the journey as we like to say from seed to plate so it's all about planning, growing, harvesting, cooking in the urban garden and in smaller spaces. And you can find more information on that at The Gardenology. And Gardenology is G-A-R-D-E-N-O-L-O-G-I-E.com. And the masterclass is called The Year in the Urban Garden. I love that. That's such a great idea for a class. It's, I feel like, you know, as someone who's like a, a class addict, like I love learning and exploring new things, especially when you're doing something new that you might not be familiar with. It just yeah. makes you so much more confident when you have someone guiding you along and you're right. like, okay, I can like follow this outline. And like, if I do this, I know that it will come out well. It just really makes all the difference, I think. Yeah. And the, um, the course is great in the sense that we review a garden plan specifically for you in your space. We do a really comprehensive intake form. So, you know, we set you up for the season and then everyone has access to us via email all season long. And so it really facilitates that learning and being in the moment and reacting um, to what's going on in your space. I love that. And so one thing that we also do with our guests, if you're down, we have listener mail. So would you be down to help us answer a couple questions from our listeners i would love to awesome we will kick things off with a garden question and then we'll move over to a home question and so the garden question is from alexis of pacific midwest on instagram and she asks how do you determine spring summer sunlight for garden bed placement when it's only february it's <laughs> a great question so it is super important to understand the light conditions that you're growing in because different plants will thrive better in different conditions. Um, so in order to be considered full sun, your garden needs to receive six plus hours of direct sunlight a day. And as the question leads to, it's February, there are no leaves on the trees and we don't have a lot of direct sunlight. So your best friend is your camera roll on your phone. Go back, look at some different months in your camera roll on your phone and see, you know, 10 a.m., 12 p.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Look at when those pictures were taken. We have so much data on our smartphones right now mm. that can help us reverse engineer our garden spaces and see where trees are casting shadows in July, 
versus, you know, um, when we might get full sun, like what month that is, depending on where you're located uh, in North America. That's such a good mm-hmm. idea. And, you know, also the comment about the trees is so helpful, too, because in the winter, if they are deciduous trees, the leaves fall down so you don't get a lot of shade from them if it's winter and sunny. But then, you know, in the summer, they're full of leaves, so they're actually like going to shade out so much stuff. That's, yeah, yeah. That's such a great, great point. Thank you for that. And then for our home question, uh, this one is coming at us from My Italian Flavors on Instagram, and she has a pretty broad question. <laughs> this is going to be for <laughs> challenge for you, Sam. Okay. Um, she asks, where do you start when designing a space? Imagine an empty apartment and no plans. How do you begin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a very broad question. Um, I think, honestly, I would start with what do you need? So just like creating a list of what the space is for. So um, really just get into the nuts and bolts of programming, how you're going to live in the space, how you're going to use the space and how and what pieces you need in order to do those things. And then that'll inform sort of what selections you'll need. And then if your goal is, if the question's based also in like maintaining aesthetic continuity or harmony, I would totally just make like a board on Pinterest and start with that and really get into when we do this exercise with clients, it's about, you know, it doesn't have to be a pin of a couch. It could just be like, what is the vibe that you want for this space? So it's more tapping into the emotion of how you want to feel in a space and um, really dumping that all in there and then distilling it down to, you know, which ones are of most importance. So let's say you just did like a vision board for your space and and you limit yourself to 10 images and then use that as the compass to help make your decisions when it comes to furniture or selections or things like that. So, and then if you need um, help just even knowing how pieces will fit in the space, I mean, SketchUp is great. They have a free uh, version of it. It's very user-friendly. You can, you know, just draw quick boxes in there. You could YouTube how to sketch out (laughs) a room to scale and, uh, you know, draw, even just hand draw um, the pieces or cut them out, clip, you know, copy paste and I don't know, move the pieces around on the on the square on paper. Yeah. Until you feel confident in what's going in the space and how to fit it in there. And then um, let that kind of empower you to make the right decisions, you know? Yeah. So... Do you ever have folks do anything similar with Pinterest, Melissa, like put together a little like pin boards of the kind of vibe that they want in their garden? Or do you just mainly go off of like use? Yeah, actually, um, in a year in the urban garden, the first module is about creating a vision board. Oh, nice. Uh, We find it a really, really visual tool. And Mm -hmm. so we let people either use Pinterest or uh, maybe do like a mood vision board on on Canva or even a physical one, like cutting out yeah. things from food magazines or anything you have lying around. And again, same thing. You want to evoke a mood and you want to sort of do a little bit of goal setting around what that garden will be. Right. Love that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and diving deep into, you know, all things small space and container gardening. I just feel like this subject is going to be more and more important as, you know, populations grow and more people are living in more of a smaller 
physical footprint. So it's just been so helpful and so much fun talking with you, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. And I really enjoyed it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. You can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. For design advice, send in your listener mail at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at feelslikehomepodcast. The Feels Like Home podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Strzok and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends. Thank you.